To support our work at the Izzy and Murtada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show, and you'll get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up at Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. I'm Izzy. And I'm Mortada. And this is the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show. This is our seventh episode. Um, and this week we are discussing a new film that's out. Um, Kelly Reichardt's showing up. Um, but since it's seven, it's not a big milestone, but I think it is a milestone, according at least to Marilyn Monroe, who was in the seven. <laughs> The seven-year itch. The seven-episode itch. <laughs> so we have the seven-episode itch. Izzy, I thought we could tell new listeners what we have discussed on the podcast so far. So if this is your first episode and you're here because you just are craving some Kelly Reichardt takes, uh, we have some pretty good episodes for you to check out if you are interested in hearing more from us. We just did a really fantastic interview with the filmmakers behind Chrissy Judy. We did a breakdown of Jean Dielman to figure out why it was just considered the best film of all time, according to Sight and Sound. Uh, we did a little breakdown of Casablanca to see why it holds up. What 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 is it about this film that makes its legacy endure so well? And uh, yeah, and we're still going to review some really cool new releases that are coming out. So I think we've got a good host of options for you to to scroll through and listen through. Yes, and it's not just Izzy and me talking in your ears every week, although it's just me and Izzy this week. But we've had some amazing guests to discuss Casablanca. We brought the expert, the wonderful uh, writer and academic Noah Eisenberg, who wrote literally wrote the book on Casablanca. And also another person who literally wrote the book is Professor Catherine Fowler, um, who was our wonderful guest on the John Dealman episode. And we had White Fenner and Todd Flaherty last week to discuss their film, Chrissy Judy. So lots of humorous, funny, insightful, knowledgeable people that we had the great good fortune to host on this podcast so far. And more to come. And more to come. But this week, we are diving into Showing Up, Kelly Reichardt's new film starring Michelle Williams, who is not Carrie Mulligan, (laughs) (laughs) which is an inside joke from another episode. So you have to listen through them to know what I mean. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the wonderful Hong Chow, uh, Judd Hirsch is in this film too. Fableman's Reunion. Yes, and um, the wonderful, charismatic Andre Benjamin and John Magaro, who I'm always surprised to see, but he seems to work with Reichardt a lot. He was in her last film, First Scout. Of course, he was Rudy Mara's rather slightly obnoxious friend in Carol. Yeah, I was going to say, we can't let it let it go unsaid that this is a Carol alum. Yes, totally a Carol alum. So Izzy, I have like an opener for you. If you were writing a review of this film showing up, what would your headline be? You know, 
as a critic, this is something that editors have been asking me to write. Usually as a critic or a reviewer, you do not come up with the headline. That's up to the editors. But recently, all my editors have been asking me to come up with headlines for my reviews. They're like, oh, you're the you're the one who knows this review the best. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. But I've been <laughs> That's a different to... skill set, I will say. Like the tweet oh, no. version of an article is very difficult to come up with. Absolutely. So I've been struggling. And it's actually the thing that I've been literally struggling is two minutes before I started talking with you. So I'm going to impart on you the same thing that was imparted on me and force you to come up with a headline for our review of showing up. Man, that's tough. Okay. Something, something along the lines of like Kelly Reichardt's latest, um, something, something, the intimacy of art making. I don't know. (laughs) Something like that. Um, something that conveys that it is very small, meditative, but emotionally powerful, um, Mm -hmm. examination of like what it means to kind of be someone who's making things and loves to make things in a world that doesn't really appreciate those things Mm -hmm. as much as it could. Um, yeah, I think you, you. You said two words that I really love, um, intimate, because it is very intimate, and mm-hmm. uh, making art, which this movie to me is about what it means to live as an artist who is not, I don't know, Nicole Kidman or somebody, or Leonard Bernstein, or you know, somebody at the highest echelons of being an artist whose life is completely taken. It's just somebody, a regular artist who has to pay the bills somewhere other than their art. And this is something I think a lot of people um, we know live like that. You know, they probably Absolutely. have a day job and then they do whatever it is um, that drives their creative lives in the time they can find for it. Yeah, I really felt like I could relate to a lot of what she was going through. I mean, there are scenes in the film where we see Ms. Michelle Williams at her desk job, essentially. she has to. I don't know exactly what her administrative role is, but it's clear that she kind of sees it as a means to an end, right? Like she is just there to make money and to mm-hmm. kind of fill her day up with um, something that gives her a salary so that she can go home and make her sculptures. And that's what she's actually passionate about. That's what she cares about the most. And I was like, oh my, this feels like me, you know, five months ago when I was working at a admittedly very good job, but also, you know, was thinking about the channel full time. and was just so frustrated that I couldn't just be working on YouTube all the time. Yeah. So, but like you said, I think we know so many people who are like that and people who have these passions that just aren't allowed to thrive by the kind of world that we live in. And it was nice Mm -hmm. to see um, some sort of representation in that way, I guess. Yeah. Um, And Kelly Reichert herself is someone like that because she is a very well-respected filmmaker who's been making movies for more than two decades, yet she's still a film professor. That's her job that she does for most of the year. So I think you see that this is a milieu that she understands. The film is also set in the Portland area, and that's where she lives. And, you know, the Michelle Williams character, who's the lead character, she's um, um, an artist who is a sculptor, and she's about to have a, a show. So this the story is set around the few days before her show and ends on the day of the show. And so 
you can see that um, Kelly Reichert sort of, I don't want to say this is autobiographical, but it's certainly based in an area and a milieu that she's familiar with. The, the day job is in a very liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's kind of, it's kind of a college, like the one, I don't know where she works I think exactly. It, it's now defunct as I was reading an article about it. And it was a real school that it, I think closed in 2019 and is now a privatized middle school campus. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, which is disheartening. But I think also kind of speaks to this almost u- artistic utopia that she builds yeah. that feels so like out of place with modern life in a way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is such a specificity to this liberal arts college where the Michelle Williams character works that sometimes I'll be like, I can't believe like somebody captured this. Like there is one of the scenes that it's also this, this movie is so funny. Like I have laughed so many times during it. Um, But one of the scenes that was so funny to me is when Michelle Williams and another teacher at the school are just having lunch outside. And there is a class of a few students there who are just um, dancing basically in the sun. But in the conversation between these two teachers, we realized that this is an actual class. And the other teacher says to Michelle Williams, um, oh, I wish I could take this class, but I don't know what it's called. And then Michelle Williams' character responds, um, thinking and movement, which is so funny. It's so funny. The delivery is so funny, too. Because yes. she's completely serious. But it's just yeah. like, it is kind of like a ridiculous class. <laughs> totally. totally. But it's also the kind of ridiculous specific class that would only exist in this type of arts college. Exactly, exactly. Well, what about, I'm going to turn your earlier question back on you. Did, did you have a headline that you would have used for an article? Um, I do. And my headline is Hong Chao steals it. Oh, okay. You know what? That's fair. But that's that's also true of every Hong Chao movie, is it not? <laughs> it is totally Hong Chao true. Hong Chao once again steals it. Yes, but that's even better. Hong yeah. Chao once again steals it. Um, yeah. It is true, and so Hong Chao is another artist um, who is also Michelle Williams's landlady. So she owns the building where Michelle Williams rents an apartment, and it is such a passive aggressive relationship between the two of them. So their whole thing is that Michelle Williams doesn't have hot water and Hong Chao's character is kind of unconcerned about that because she also has a show that's opening the same weekend. Um, and Two shows. Funny, two shows. Two yes. shows. She has two shows. <laughs> and this is, this is the funny thing about this relationship is that everything that Michelle Williams does, Hong Chao does better. Mm-hmm. Like she has one show, she's an artist too, but instead of having one show, she has two shows. She owns the building. She is, um, they sort of both have eyes for Andre Benjamin, who is one of the other people who work in the college, but also helps them with their art. And guess who sleeps with him? Um, and so it's this sort of like very touchy relationship between the two of them. They're always, I, I, w- I don't think Hong Chao's character cares as much, but Michelle Williams is always trying to one-up man her. Mm-hmm. Um and in a very passive aggressive but so funny. It's just such a funny relationship. I love how this film kind of plays with the economics of being an artist so well because mm-hmm. so much of dedicating your life to your passions is about having the financial means to do so. And because Hong Chao's character has this passive income coming in that she really 
isn't making any effort toward whatsoever. She has mm-hmm. all day to mold these sculptures and, um, you know, uh, weave together these giant pieces that she doesn't have to like cram in at night in a nine to five situation, you know, whereas like Michelle Williams, she really is just, she says like, I pulled an all nighter to finish this um, and doesn't have the kind of flexibility that, that Joe has, um, which is a really, I don't know, interesting thing to think about. And I think is so on the mind of so many artists these days. Yeah. And it's also just sort of touches on professional jealousy within this very small milieu. Like everybody here knows everyone, like, Mm -hmm. and everybody knows everybody's business. So you can't hide. Um, So it's not like, you know, the Michelle Williams character can lie and say that her show was successful or that she has seven shows coming up or whatever it is she probably wishes she could do to make the Hong Chao character just a little bit jealous or appreciative of her success or whatever everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business so you have to just be who you you're forced to be who you are yet you're still sort of competing with each other um for whatever little recognition your art can get you in this small community i think that's what kelly reichardt does so well right because when you think about a lot of her other films they're about very small locations or like smaller communities and by small locations mm-hmm. i just mean like they're about a few people it's not like a big city kind of dramas but she, the way that she films portland is mm-hmm. so intimate you feel like it's a small college town that could be really anywhere it's not it doesn't really feel like it's in this major american metropolis and yeah i like that kelly reichardt can do that i think it's really um i don't know a special skill set it is. And everything here feels, um, I think um, it is intimate and it also doesn't call attention to in- itself in any way. It just sort of unfolds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you realize all these things that are happening. Um, and like, she's not a particularly visual filmmaker, so her films look great, but she's not a particularly visual filmmaker. But I think what she fills the frame with are character details. I think everywhere you look in the frame, there is something that will tell you more about the character or about the place or about this community. Um, In the car Michelle Williams drives, you understand a lot of sort of like, you kind of understand probably how much she makes, the way she dresses, um, those cloggers with socks, you sort of (laughs) understand where she's coming from a little bit, what maybe her politics are. Right. I don't know if I'm inferring too much. Um, in the clutter in her office, in the college, you sort of also get kind of what kind of college this is and what kind of people she shares the office with. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that there's just a dog laying in the entryway of a door every yes. time and people are just totally fine stepping over it. Nobody yeah. says anything. I'm curious what you made of her actual sculptures. The only time that I sort of like paid attention to them, I think one of them kind of looks like the Hong Chao character. And that was like, oh, I wonder what this one means. Um, And it was like sort of a funny joke Mm -hmm. because then there is an actual very funny visual when Hong Chao realizes it's her. (laughs) Yeah, I was really trying to place because I couldn't figure out if the film was trying to tell us that she was an actual very good artist or if... um, it was just not really making a statement about her art at all with relation to Mm -hmm. like the way she experiences her art making. But I, in the end, I kind of landed on it being just 
like solidly mid, but that also mm-hmm. being kind of the point, right? Yeah. It's like these sculptures aren't beautiful, but they're also not carved in a way that they're like intentionally ugly or like depraved or like mm-hmm. making a statement in any way that to me, like overtly. So it sort of felt like, you know, she has this very specific style of making art. It's not provocative. It's not beautiful, but it's just kind of like there. Yes. <laughs> Which I feel like um, it sounds like I'm insulting it, but I'm I'm not. I think, but I, <laughs> I think that like reflects upon the character really well. Like she's not doing anything that's very showy. And she's kind of like a, a little bit of a bland personality. Yes. And that kind of contrasts her to Joe, who's making these huge, colorful artworks that take up so much space. And she's the kind of person who takes up a lot of space and has all these people around her um, who love being around her. Uh, so thinking about like the, those two in opposition to each other in that way is really interesting to me. Yes. And just looking at how much space, like I think the point you made is that the Hong Chao character's art takes so much space. But basically the show in the end is one not even very long table where yeah. everything everything that she sculpted is put on and it just doesn't really take that much space. Um, and with apologies to the real artists behind this work, I do agree that it's a little nondescript and bland, mm-hmm. but it's very evocative of this character. She, like, she's yeah. not going to make big pieces. She's not going to make something that definitively says something. She's just going to make something small and something that would have meaning probably only to herself. And even if someone asks her to explain what this is, which thankfully never happens in this film, nobody asks (laughs) her to explain her art. Yes. She would not really know what to say. (laughs) Exactly. I, I was really actually drawn to her, um, the sketches in the beginning, Mm -hmm. the title sequence kind of scans along her wall in her studio where she, uh, you see a bunch of different sketches and I, I guess I think watercolors um, that are very similar to her, her sculptures, but feel much more um, done in haste. I guess not in haste. Cause that makes it sound hurried, but I guess like just kind of shooting them off one after the other, she's just mm-hmm. kind of like quickly jotting down a quick sketch. And I found those really beautiful. Cause they felt like she, like she was really observing something and kind of, engaging in a way that the sculptures kind of don't feel quite as like um thought out which sounds weird because you spend so much time on them I don't know yeah she does um but also you feel like she doesn't control much of it because something goes wrong with one of the sculptures it gets too close to the fire when she when she's when Andre Benjamin is trying to help her mold them and he's very nonchalant about nonchalant about it and he's just like oh you know I like when something has a flaw and she seems crestfallen but also doesn't say much or do much and obviously she cares but she's not someone to have like a big dramatic um meltdown as an artist because I would think that somebody who was trying to be in control like most artists are or at least most artists that are depicted in movies are that would have been a moment to have like a big major meltdown and be like you don't understand my art and how am I going to fix this and you know goes into a hubris of I'm an artist or whatever but the moment just passes and well kind of he moves on 
I think she does have a little bit of a breakdown because she goes home and there's that phone. She's kind of sitting there looking at this, this statue that she's made and the party is going on next door and she gets like increasingly heated that a, you know, her water isn't fixed. B this thing got messed up. And the first thing she does while she's looking at this sculpture is calls Hong Chao to be like, Hey, you need to take care of the bird. Like she's reasserting her, um, her ability to take control of something or to like, know Mm. that she knows how to do something well, which of course we haven't mentioned the bird yet, which is a huge part of the, um, of the plot, of the whatever plot, plot yeah. there is. Yeah. But I like this point. It's a little bit like a MacGuffin bird. <laughs> yes. Um, before we get to the bird, I just want to um, say that I like your point. Yes, she does have a sort of breakdown, but it is a Kelly Reichardt breakdown in that it is in that it is minimal and small. Yep, exactly. So the bird. The, bird. <laughs> the big plot. Do you want to tell the listeners about the bird plot? Is sure. It- so... Um, one of my favorite parts, obviously, of the movie is that there's a cat in it. And much like my cat is very into birds <laughs> that are flying by um, her apartment. And uh, one night, I, I guess a window is open and somehow, I don't know, maybe the bird flies in or uh, the, the cat leaves and brings it back a bird a pigeon is in her bathroom and her cat is attacking it in the middle of the night and the bird survives with a broken wing but uh she releases it she doesn't take care of it she just chooses to let it go outside where the next day hong chow discovers it and says oh my god we need to take care of this bird And she never mentions that she knew why the bird was injured. She never says, uh, oh, God, this is my cat's fault. I feel so bad. She just sort of assumes kind of a co-parenting responsibility for this bird. They take care of it together, see the vet. And um, it's I think it's interesting to kind of see her. I think it works on several levels in the film, right? Like it speaks to the level of like inflexibility in her life that she Mm Uh, her day is kind of her day off is kind of like taken over by this bird and suddenly she has no time to work anymore. Um, um, something else that Hong Chao inflicts on her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like more contentiousness in their relationship. Yes. And then um, I think it also speaks to kind of the solipsism of her character a little bit that she was so willing to just like cast this injured bird aside because she had a work day until she was kind of forced to reckon with it by Hong Chao. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you think of that whole story? Um, I just, I love the bird, obviously, because it is the sort of kind of like small thing that is, that you will find as a plot device in a movie like this that will just bring everything together. Like, um, the bird is there so that we know more about both the Michelle Williams character and about the Hong Chao character and how they both react to it. Like you said, one, you know, Michelle Williams was just trying to ignore it, but then she was forced to take care of it. And Hong Chao immediately comes in. Let's save this bird. Let's, you know, um, nurse it until it's, um, it, you know, comes back to its strengths. And, and then 
it also forces them to deal with each other in that funny, passive, aggressive way that they mm-hmm. deal with each other in that Michelle Williams is trying to make Hong Chao do things and Hong Chao is just ignoring her. Yeah. So. It's it's interesting. I like that it kind of lets us see the the good and the bad in both of them. Like yeah. Michelle Williams cares more about the bird ultimately, but was willing to cast it aside pretty easily. But then Hong Chao is like willing to take it in, but then also can't really maintain it. Like she just ignores phone calls, ignores the cost of like taking care of the bird and all this kind of stuff. So it's sort of like their yin and yang a little bit, like their flaws and their, and their virtues are kind of opposed to each other in that way, which is interesting. Um, They're the kind of people who, you know, the Hong Chao character is the kind of person who just knows that things will be taken care of no matter what. And the yeah. Michelle Williams character is the person fuming in the back. I, but I'm the one taking care of Yeah, like of I'm doing it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big landlord yes. energy from, from Hong Chao's character, for sure. Yeah, yes, totally. Um, so this film, like, really surprised me um, in that I loved it so much. Like, usually Kelly Reichardt movies, I think for me, um, are always well-made. They're always um, intimate. Their characters are always um, vibrantly drawn. Like you can, they're very recognizable as um, real people and they're very artfully made. Mm -hmm. Like you always see that there is um, attention given to everything. Um, like, you know, to the costumes, to the settings. Obviously, the actors in her movies do great work, even though most of it is very understated. Um, But I think this is my favorite of her films because it is just so much funnier than any of her movies and less serious. Um, And even though it is a story, its story can be said to be slight because not much happens in the two days that this story takes care for. I don't think it's slight at all because in those two days, we see the life of the complete life of the Michelle Williams character. And I think we can also say the complete life of the Hong Chao character. Like we get two people in a very specific milieu and we get their whole life. We get it, all of it in um, less than two hours, which I think is a great accomplishment. I really agree with you. I think Kelly Reichardt is a director who's grown on me a lot because I I haven't seen Old Joy. I haven't seen that one, but I did not like Meek's Cut Off. And I um and since then each one I've liked more and more. Mm-hmm. So I liked certain women. It really enjoyed First Cow. And then this one I I think is like you said, probably my favorite of what I've seen of her work. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm more of a plot girly. I do love plot heavy films and I would not say that that is the kind of film that she makes. They're very much just like portraits of lives, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes I have trouble with slow looking, ironically, uh, John <laughs> Dillman, like notwithstanding, <laughs> um, but, um, but this one, I felt like didn't tip over the edge of being too slow um mm-hmm. i think the way that the characters are portrayed and written felt very full despite the fact that it's like a very quiet and understated film so i was very engaged with it 
And like you said, I think there's a lot of humor that kind of fills in a lot of those quieter gaps that makes it hold your attention if if you yeah. have trouble with that. Yeah, it's funny that um, you don't care for Mix Cutoff, which I also don't care of, and I think it's my least favorite of her films. But that was the one that in our previous episode about John Dillman that our guest Catherine Fowler cited as yeah. uh, perhaps someone, a film that was inspired by or influenced by John Dillman. And I do see that it's it's sort of like a slow film about this person doing something, trying to get somewhere and maybe not doing much to get there. Um, I personally love Certain Women. I think Certain Women is my second favorite behind this because um, uh, it just, it's sort of like, I like the triptych of it, that there's three different stories, but they all sort of are the same theme, but they're different. Um, And I like that they're set in the same place, but also offers you sort of different socioeconomic milieus for their characters but you also understand where each one how they relate to each other all of that and and the thing is with her that I love that I I think I'm I already said but I'm going to repeat it is that she takes something that you think is small and slight and just makes so much out of it yeah um like I also love Wendy and Lucy for that because it's a story about a woman and her dog but but then you get a portrait of a life of that of a person um, who's just trying to survive. And it's just so much more than just, oh, this is just a woman and her dog. Exactly. And I I think two things. One, someone needs to write an essay about Kelly Ruckard and animals because <laughs> she really does use them to show, you know, the hum- what qualities like their, I don't know, caretakers have, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Secondly, I think that she is so good with actors. I don't know what she, how, what her, you know, on the set tactics are or anything like that, her strategies for working with actors. But um, I've never seen a performance in one of her films that I was like, oh, that was miscast or that was kind of off or I didn't Mm -hmm. understand that, you know, they're always really interesting. And it's not like this is a normal, like run of the mill Michelle Williams character, like this is kind of a different thing for her, I think, being this yeah. kind of mousy, hunched over, insecure woman. Um, and she does it brilliantly. I really, really liked her in this. Yeah, she is. She's great, despite my headline. I think she's she's great. <laughs> and she has um, she's always worked well with with Kelly Reichardt. And she always yeah. seems to give completely different performances um, with Kelly Reichardt. And I have loved her in in her work without Kelly Reichardt, but I think I like her more with Kelly Reichardt. I really loved her in Certain Women too, because that was such a a sort of um, unsympathetic character that she played in that movie, yet she gave it such empathy. And I left that movie even though there were so many other great actors in that movie, Kristen Stewart and Lily Gladstone, Laura Dern. So I just left just so taken away by Michelle Williams. And I don't know what it is, what their collaboration is. Um, um, but it is something I hope we get to see more and more um, because. This um, is their fourth together? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a decades long collaboration now. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she's really wonderful in this film. And um, it's so funny that I would, as I was watching her, I kept thinking as, you know, um, <laughs> that her character is Lydia Tarr without the power. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Without like delusional confidence for sure. Yes, exactly. Like if she had just, and maybe like more sense of like sexual appropriate behavior, sexually appropriate behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If she had just a little bit more success and a little bit more power, she would have been completely, she would have been Olivia Tarr basically. But Well, I think that's actually maybe like a really good insight into her character as well in terms of like Lydia Tarr was so um, concentrated on escaping her parents and being perceived as the way that in the way that her parents were perceived, which is like probably working class New York family, like Im- mm-hmm. immigrant family. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. But uh, this character is like unable, uh, incapable of escaping her family. I mean, she works at the same place as her mother, presumably like underneath her as a yes, her like mother she's is her directly boss. Retort- reporting to her boss. And then her f- dad does um, pottery. So like something very similar to her art form as well. Yeah. And then she's kind of also taking care of her brother who's going through some mental illness issues. So I feel like, you know, she can't escape them. And I think that mm-hmm. that kind of forms a power dynamic in her life that is informing the way that she behaves mm-hmm. and kind of like if maybe she was separated from them. Yeah she might have more of an ego who knows, but she's very much still like the daughter in that yes. dynamic, you know? Yeah. She's not the big dog in, yeah. in, in any um, environment she's in. And the other thing that I thought of about in relationship with Tar is that I, I thought Tar was the relationships in Tar are very incestuous in that they were all fucking each other or trying to fuck each other, even though they work together. And here it's literally they're working together, but they are a family. So it's even more directly incestuous um, in that (laughs) way. And I'm just like, is this kind of what all artists are? You know, they have to wield their power over someone and it's just the people closest to them. Yeah, kind of. It's it's definitely interesting. I got the impression, um, I wasn't sure if I was reading it correctly, that her dad was kind of like a big deal. Is that how you read that? Um. Like he's re- he's like a retired guy, but who people probably would have heard of if they were in that scene. Um, no, I don't know. I don't think so. And I think being a big deal in any way is so antithesis to what a Kelly Reichert character would be. So That's I true. didn't read it That's that way. True. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, but they're always, they're all sort of like have a modicum of success in yeah. this, like they're well-known enough. They are successful enough. They're able to eke out a living by having, you know, the main job being some paid job in a school or something like that, plus the art they make. Mm-hmm. Um, one detail that I loved, and this is not, this is a very small, maybe one minute scene is just the hatred, the mom and dad who are divorced yeah. have for each other. It's so funny. They don't even interact that much. They interact literally at the end of the movie for maybe one minute and you just sort of the contempt they have to each other is so apparent and palpable. Like it jumped up at me, but it was so funny. Um, yeah. And Judge Hirsch and I think the actor who, um, who plays uh, the mother is Marianne Plunkett. They were both so funny. In this They're film. very good. Yeah. I thought that, yeah, the ending was great to me. The cheese banter was very funny. Yeah. For the end. Um, uh, I want to talk about the school as well, because... Mm-hmm. 
I thought there was something I just loved that the detail that she was using and painting with this school where, you know, it's never just an empty hallway. It's never, you know, people just rushing to class. It's there. Someone's always making something and you can kind mm-hmm. of see all of this creativity in different mediums being encouraged and thriving. And I thought that was just such a beautiful environment to showcase. Um, it reminded me of aspects of work of college, you know, how mm-hmm. people actually have the time and, the space to to do these things that just feels so out of place with the rest of society. Yeah. It's a place where, you know, nobody's doing anything to make money or for profit. It's a mm-hmm. place where people are just doing work they love. Um, sort of a utopia. It's it can yeah. only be found in academia. Um, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But it also comes with these very passive aggressive relationships. That's what I was thinking too, because I was yeah. during the movie, I was like, on in some sense, like I love looking at this, but I would hate being there <laughs> because yes. because like when you have an environment like this, the the like egos stand out a little bit more. Like yeah. people feel like you know they need attention for what they're making, and it becomes um, just like the human nature at war with itself instead yeah. of you know with these other systemic things. And I think that's always interesting to experience. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the whole um the whole arc of the character of Michelle Williams is that she's trying to get some attention, but nobody's giving it to her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um I want to mention Andre Benjamin because he's just been like he's obviously world famous musician from Outcast. Um, and then Outcast disbanded or whatever. I don't think he's making music anymore. But he's just been appearing in these smaller roles in films. He's in this one. He's in um, the Claire Denis movie with Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche, which I can't remember the name right now. Um, he's in the, the space Noah one. Bo- yeah. The space one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's in that. He's in the Noah. High Bomb Life. Movie. That's it. High Life. Yes. High Life. Thank you. Got it. Um, and he's in the Noah Baumbach movie um, with Greta Gerwig and Adam Driver that came out, um, which I'm all uh, white noise. And it's so funny to me. Like, I don't even think he's trying to build a career. Because none of these roles actually has much to do in these films or calls attention to themselves as anyway. Like he's not even trying to appear as a character actor. He's just, I think, working with people he likes and being in sets where he thinks he might have a fun experience or at least an experience that would um, enrich his life or something like that. His The performances are always... So understated, but also just his face is really, the camera really loves him. He's so so charming. Yeah. Yeah. You always notice him, but he's utterly not trying to call attention to himself whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think you're totally right. That's exactly what I was thinking too. He seems to choose his collaborators really carefully. And also the works that he chooses are not insanely commercial things. They're very... I don't like using the word highbrow, but I think they kind of are in the current landscape, you know? Um, And they also, I think this one is interesting because he appears not only as a teacher, but he is also featured quite heavily on the soundtrack playing the flute. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really amazing that this uh, project allowed him to kind of 
be a collaborator in that way as well. Like utilizing that very amazing skill set that he has, like beyond just like as a musician, but like as a flautist, like I didn't even know he could do that. That's crazy. And in White Noise, I don't know if you saw that, but he dances. There is a dance sequence at the end of White Noise and it's the whole cast dances, but he's definitely the star of that (laughs) little dance scene. Yeah. Um, so he is utilizing all his talents um, in these movies. And I'm, and you never hear about, you know, in news, oh, Andre Benjamin has been cast in the new Kelly Reichardt movies, but then you see the movie and he's there. So I'm just waiting to be surprised again by whatever movie he next appears in. I would honestly love some kind of starring vehicle for him. Like somebody should write something for him to be the centerpiece of for sure. Yeah, definitely. He seems like, oh. I mean, I would watch it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And he should dance and play the flute in whatever <laughs> yeah. starring role. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think we've come to that time in the episode where we have to turn it over to Betty. What a dump. Murtado, what would you like to dump? This movie is so sweet and so nice. Um, and everybody's doing real great work that I don't really have anything to dump on. But as somebody who is lactose intolerant, Cheese is a big plot <laughs> in this movie. Um, so in the show, in the Michelle Williams characters, um, when for the opening of her show, she has a wine and cheese party. And as somebody who goes not to shows like this, but I do go to uh, a movie screening followed by hors d'oeuvres or whatever. There is always cheese and wine. And actually the food is mostly cheese and I can't eat cheese. So I'm always at a disadvantage. Sad. Yeah. yeah, very sad for me. This is a very sort of like um, internal looking dump, but just <laughs> less cheese. Added Dumping added. on your intestines is what yes. you're doing. <laughs> yes, less cheese, please, at events and parties and, you know, just mix it up. But I thought the cheese in this movie, the thing was very funny because her brother, played by Joan Magaro, comes and at the beginning, she was like, oh, there's too much cheese. And then he eats the cheese. And then she was like, no, you're eating all the cheese. You have to leave some for the other people. So it becomes another way to tell us of just how not in control this person is yeah. of anything, which, it, which I thought was very funny. That's a good one. You know, I like that it's simultaneously on the film and also your own body. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's what's your dump this week? Well, I guess mine is also um, a little self-reflective, which I'm dumping on the idea of landlords. <laughs> Not to sound like a crazy lefty, but boy, oh boy, does it suck to throw down a good chunk of my income to simply have a place to live. Um, oh, yeah. It's not fun. It's not fun. Um, you know, Hong Chao doesn't seem like the worst landlord, but it is mm. one of those relationships where... It's sort of like, are we friends? Are we friends of convenience? Are we, you know, am I, is this a business relationship? And those are always very, very confusing um, with like landlords specifically, you know? Um, So yeah, that sucks for her. I hope she uh, ended up getting that hot water and boo. Yes. Boo on landlords. Boo on cheese. (laughs) (laughs) and that's all what we have for you this week and you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at i am picture show and i am on twitter at me underscore says on instagram at mortada underscore e and you can find me on youtube at be kind rewind 
Twitter, BK Rewind, and Instagram, BK underscore Rewind. Uh, thank you all for listening.